1: today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real
2: love is calling, listen. Truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. He says, what matters is what God thinks of me. That's also an important truth for all of us too, right? A lot of people are going to have a lot of opinions about you. You have an opinion about you. Sometimes our self-assessment barometer is broken, and so sometimes we don't really have a good picture of who we really are, and so it doesn't really matter what other people think. It doesn't really even matter what we think of ourselves. What really matters is what God thinks of us. What does God think? We should live to please God. This
1: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. You may have heard this before, but it doesn't really matter what others think of you. It really doesn't. The only opinion that holds any weight is God's. Pastor Gary will tell you more in today's message and encourage you to find out exactly what your Heavenly Father knows about you and what His plans are for your life. When you do, let it influence what you think of yourself and how you present yourself to the world. God's opinion will always be that He loves you and He's created you in the exact way you were meant to be made. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: In chapter 4, again, the letter to the church at Corinth is more of a corrective epistle. He doesn't even get... To answering some of the questions that they had written Paul about until chapter seven, and so we're still in kind of a lengthy introduction to this book, where Paul is addressing some things of concern to him personally. He said back in chapter three, he says I couldn't address you as spiritual; I had to address you as worldly, or King James says carnal, because there's quarrelling, there's jealousy, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in this church. More than even quarrelling and jealousy, we're going to see here in chapter five, there's sexual immorality going on in chapter. They're suing each other. Not much has changed in our world. And then they're getting drunk at communion in chapter 11, which is why we have grape juice, friends, all right? That's why we have grape juice. And then, and then there's an abuse of spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and 13 and 14. He gives some instruction about how to properly exercise spiritual gifts. So there's a lot that they are doing right, but there's a lot of that they're not doing right. One of the things we see here in chapter 4 that they're not doing so well is that they've unnecessarily had an unhealthy view of church leadership. And there's actually a group in the church of Corinth that reveres Paul too much, and there's a group in the church at Corinth that doesn't respect him enough. And so in chapter 4, he's going to kind of address this. He's going to kind of tell those who are revering him too much, hey, pull it back. And he's going to address those who don't respect him enough and don't recognize his apostolic authority that they need to step it up a little bit. Because after all, God has called him to be an apostle to the church. And so he's going to kind of correct and encourage both groups here in chapter 4. Now along these lines of some people revering him too much and some people disrespecting him too much. There's good advice I heard years ago, because most people may, in fact, treat you in a similar way. There will be some people who perhaps revere you too much and think you're too wonderful, and there will be other people who don't think that you're good for anything, and so they might even be disrespectful to you. So I heard this saying years ago that I've quoted here before, but discount the high end and the low end of flattery and criticism, because you're probably neither. You're not as wonderful as some people think you are, and you know that. And shame on us when we let people think that we're as wonderful as they think we are. And you're probably not as terrible as other people think you are. That the reality is in all of our lives, if we would discount the high end of flattery and the low end of criticism, we're probably somewhere in the middle. That's where reality is. But some people will think too much of us, and some people will think too little of us. That's what's happening here in the church of Corinth. That's what's happening in regards to Paul. Some of them are just thinking way too much of him, and some are thinking way too little of him. So he starts out here in verse 1, and he says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, I just have to pause there in verse 1 because there's two words that are important for us to realize in what he's saying to explain the proper view of who he is. And he begins here by saying, listen, you need to regard us as servants of Christ. And he uses a unique word here. A lot of times in the Bible, the word servant in the New Testament original Greek language is doulos. But he uses a different word here. He uses the word Huperites, and Huperites is from two Greek words, hupo meaning under, and ereso meaning to row. And it is a unique word that he uses here that identifies himself with an under rower. Now, back in the day, the Roman ships, the most extensive of their naval fleet, had three rows of oars. And a ship with three rows of oars was called a trireme. And he uses a word here that would describe the under-rower, which was someone who was rowing in the hull of the ship, in the belly of the ship, on the very bottom of the three tiers of oars. And so he is saying, I'm that guy. I'm the guy in the furthest part of the hull of that ship, the lowest of the low, rowing. That's me. I'm a servant for Christ. And he's, he's basically saying, listen, I'm just a nobody. I'm just trying to advance the cause of Christ. So I'm in the hull of the ship and the lowest of the three tiers. I'm just rowing for Jesus. That's the way he wants the church to see him. He says, nothing special about me. Okay, I'm just a servant of Christ. He says, and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. And that phrase, those entrusted, is another important Greek word. It's oikonomos, And it means a servant. And basically, that word is used for one who is most familiar with a household. So think of it as an indentured servant, a housekeeper, a butler, somebody who knows the household and the workings of the household and where everything is. Paul says, I'm that guy. I'm the guy entrusted with some of the most incredible things of God that I want to impart to you. And I have this wonderful privilege of just being the servant of Christ, this guy in the hull of the ship who is just rowing to advance the cause of Christ. And God has entrusted me with some incredible, deep things of God that I want to share with you. And so that's his introduction here in chapter 4. And he says in verse 2, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So he says, I want to be faithful with what God has entrusted to me. God has entrusted me with the truth, and I'm a vessel, and I want to be faithful to what God has entrusted to me. And by the way, this is not just something for the Apostle Paul. It's for every single one of us in the sense that we've all been entrusted with something. all All of us have responsibility in terms of what God has given us for something. Okay, And whatever stage or season of life you're in depends on you know, what you've been entrusted with. Some of you have the wonderful responsibility you've been entrusted with raising children. Some of you have been entrusted with you know, running a business. Some of you have been entrusted with managing money. All of us, to some degree, have been entrusted with managing money, however much or little we might have. And so all of us at different levels, just, just the fact that you might be gainfully employed, you've been entrusted with a position. And you need to be responsible to be an instrument of God and to be faithful to, you know, do what you're called to do there as unto the Lord. And so whatever stage or season of life that you find yourself in, we've all been entrusted with something. And so the key is be faithful with that and do it as unto the Lord. That's what Paul's saying in regards to what he's been entrusted with. He wants to be faithful. So should we in every other area where God has entrusted us as well. And he goes on in verse 3 and 4 and he says, I care very little. If I am judged by you or by any human court, indeed, I don't even judge myself. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So let me just summarize what Paul is saying here in verses three and four. He says basically this. He says, it does not matter what you think of me. At the end of the day, he's like, you know, I want to tell you who I am in Christ. i want to tell you I'm trying to be faithful and trusted with the truth. It doesn't really matter though what you think of me. And he adds there, he says, it doesn't even really matter what I think of myself. He says, what matters is what God thinks of me. That's also an important truth for all of us too, right? A lot of people are going to have a lot of opinions about you. You have an opinion about you. Sometimes our self-assessment barometer is broken. And so sometimes we don't really have a good picture of who we really are. And so it doesn't really matter what other people think. It doesn't really even matter what we think of ourselves. What really matters is what God thinks of us. What does God think? We should live to please God. We shouldn't be a people pleaser. And we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. We should have a good, careful assessment, a sober assessment of ourselves. We should esteem others better than ourselves, in fact, is what Paul says in Philippians. But otherwise, the most important thing is for us to pray and ask the Lord, what do you think of us, God? What do you think of me, Lord? And then be true to his assessment. In verse 5, he says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. In other words, you know, don't worry too much about me or anybody else. And, you know, don't get too worked up about, you know... What's right and wrong with other people? He said, let God sort all that out. He's going to bring to light in due time what is hidden in darkness. He'll expose the motives of men's hearts. Let God deal with that. That's not our job. God will take care of that, and he'll do it in his good time. In verse 6, he says, Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. And then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So, again, it's just this whole craziness of like, he's like, don't go beyond what is written. Don't overly, you know, revere people like me and Apollos. He says, I'm applying all this to myself and Apollos as well. He says, you know, verse 7, who makes you different from anyone else? No, you're no different from anyone else. Verse 8, he says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You know, in Christ, he's talking about, he says, you have become kings, and that without us. In other words, it's the work of God's Spirit. You know, we're not to get all this credit. He says, how I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. Now, now here's what he's going to say. He's, for those who are revering him too much, he's like, you know, don't put us on a pedestal. He says because in reality, you know, God has called us to live a life as apostles that we're going to go through some suffering, we're going to go through some difficulties. Don't envy my life, okay? Envy Christ if you're going to envy anybody. Because he goes on there to say in verse 10, he says, "We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are honored." You are honored, we are dishonored. He says, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. He's basically saying there's no glamour in the role that God has called me to. That's what Paul is saying. He says, don't envy me, don't envy the role that god has called me to be don't think that oh you know the apostle oh how wonderful he's like you want to get a glimpse of my life He goes, i've gone hungry i've gone thirsty i i really have rags and um, i'm brutally treated and sometimes i'm homeless and i have to work hard with my own hands to help make a living and and we get cursed a lot where we go and and then we also bless when whatever we're cursed and we're persecuted we endure it we get slandered he's like "You, you really want all this you know you you want this so, so he's, he's like helping them to have a, a proper perspective. Don't, don't overestimate me. Don't revere me more than you should. Have a good assessment, but don't, don't go overboard. Now, he's going to switch here also. Verse 14, he says, I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ... You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. So now now he's going to shift a little bit. He's going to address people who think Paul's nobody. So, because he has to establish that he has some apostolic authority, because after all, they've written him in advance with some questions. And if the congregation doesn't realize that he has some authority that God has given him, then why should they accept what he's about to write from chapter 7 on? So he wants to establish a little bit for those who kind of dismiss him and are at the other end of the spectrum. He's like, hey, you know, let me just tell you, there are a lot of spiritual guardians and people who have been influential in your life. He says, you have one spiritual dad. And that's me, because Paul planted this church. Paul established this church. So he's like a spiritual father to them. And so he's like coming to them as a spiritual dad. He says, so, you know, don't just lump me in with every other spiritual person that has come through town. I'm the guy that established the church. I'm the guy that God called to lead you in this fellowship. And so I have some apostolic authority to speak into your life. And he says in verse 16, therefore, underline this in your Bibles, I urge you to imitate me. And here's why I'm asking you to underline that in your Bible, because when I read this, I think to myself, you know, how much is my life? So you ask us about your own life. How much is my life in such a good place that I would openly and eagerly tell people, go ahead and imitate me. I'm so close to the Lord and my walk with Christ is so real and so true that if you want a good example of someone who's following Christ, look at my life. And this isn't the only time he says it. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So he's not trying to get ahead of Christ on this. He's just saying, you can imitate me because I'm sold out for Jesus. You can follow my example because I follow the example of Christ. He says also in Philippians 3, verse 17, he says, Join with others in following my example. So this is not the only place that he says this. In several other epistles, he's basically giving liberty to people to say, look at my life. It's an open book. I'm living for Jesus. I'm sold out for Christ. So if you really want a tangible example of someone who's living for the Lord, look at my life, go ahead, imitate me. And how many of us could say that? How many of us are living in such a way that we would freely be able to say to people, My life's an open book. Go ahead, just follow my example. You, you want a tangible example of somebody who loves Christ and sold out for Jesus? Just look at my life and follow my example. It's challenging. In verse 17, he says, For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son. And this is also the Timothy, the, the epistles first and second Timothy were letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor in Ephesus, and so Paul is saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you my son whom I love. Now, this is his son in the faith. It's not his biological son. Who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. All right, what's he saying there? No hypocrisy. No duplicity. He says, Timothy can testify. He's been traveling with me. And so he's, he's going to be able to tell you, what I say in public is how I live in private. And so... Timothy can testify of my life that it's real, it's legit. He says in verse 18, some of you have become arrogant. Circle that word, he uses it again here. It's actually a funny word. He says, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have, okay? So he's like, he's like, some of you are all, you're all arrogant. You're like, oh, you know, we we know as much as Paul does, and, you know, he's no real big deal. So he's talking to the other crowd that thinks, you know, disrespectfully of him. But the word arrogant, if you have a King James Bible, it says puffed up, okay? And the literal Greek means gas bags, all right? He says, some of you, and I guess today we would say you're full of hot air, but I still like the gas bags part. You know, you guys are just a bunch of gas bags, all right? You're just just puffed up. You're just all bloated. You're full of yourselves. You're arrogant. And he says, you know, you're all talk. You're all talk. You're you're all like, oh, we're super spiritual. Oh, you know, Paul. Paul's no big deal. And verse 20, then he, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. He says, stop your talk. Let's just see what you can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, put up or shut up kind of a thing. He's just like, he's like, you know, I came to you not with wiser eloquent words, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power is what he said earlier in the letter. So he's like the real demonstration of, of, of who's filled with the Spirit and, and who knows what they're talking about. It's, it's not talk, but it's the power of God revealed through my life. Do you guys have that going? In verse 21, then he adds, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with the gentle spirit? Ouch. He's like, it's your choice. I can come to you and beat the tar out of you, or I can come and love on you. What do you want? You want it shape up? I'll come to you in gentleness and love. He said, you're going to keep acting like this? I'm going to pound you. You know, and so he's going to come in there. Anyway, he gives, him, he gives him that little exhortation there. I like, there's a fiery part of Paul, isn't there? Just like, I'm going to whip you. I'm going to whip you. All right. Anyway, chapter five. Um, here's where we get into this sinful stuff going on. There's some sexual sin going on in the church here at Corinth. Again, it's this, as I said, I think, in the introduction of the book of Corinthians, it's this brackish water, you know, like where that's mixture of salt and fresh water because they, they're very spiritual. At the same time, they're very carnal here. And so let me just read all of chapter 5. It's only 13 verses and then we'll come back and start back at verse 1. So here's what he says in verse 5. He said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you And of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. He says, A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this just as if I were present. When you are assembled, In the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed." Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler with such a man do not even eat. Then he adds, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Whoa. All right. So this is a serious chapter and it's because there's serious sin going on here. Now, What exactly is going on he says that there is sexual immorality among you back here in verse one the term sexual immorality if you have a king james bible says fornication it is the greek word pornea and we get our english word pornography from that word and it is a word that is a broad term a broad word to cover all types of sexual sin all right now for those of you who Don't understand God's view of sexuality and what the Bible has to say about sexuality. Let me just kind of summarize it in a quick sentence or two, okay? Because I mean this sincerely. I never know who understands, you know, what God's view is of human sexuality. I mean, after all, God created human sexuality, so he's obviously, it's a gift and he's behind it. But what the Bible teaches is that there's one legitimate expression for sexuality, and that is within the context of a marriage between one man and one woman, okay? everything else outside of that is sexual sin everything yeah i know that sounds like so narrow but here's the deal god created a beautiful thing that is a beautiful gift to be enjoyed in the context of marriage the
1: the apostle paul's message to the church in corinth was frank and powerful they needed to make some changes they knew the truth of Christ because Paul had spent time planting the seeds of truth. They had begun to walk in the ways of Jesus, but they had let lies taint their steps. Those lies are common still today. Is there something you've heard from a spiritual leader that just hasn't sat right in your soul? Don't let it take root. Instead, take it to the Bible and to your Heavenly Father. Allow Him to show you what is right. And what isn't, and then grow in His perfect truth in love. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians when you join us next time. But for now, we'd like to invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about this ministry. You'll be able to hear past teachings, connect with us on social media, and learn more about the church this program originates from. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us this Sunday at 8.30, 10 or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find directions and more information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're excited to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection.
0: They say
2: you're a wandering soul. That You've got no place to go. But still you know. But still you know. You're not alone.